Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Part of that is we're kicking off new sermon series. If you've got your Bibles, look with me at the book of Colossians. If you don't know where that is, it's about halfway through the, the New Testament. And so open up your Bibles. If you need to look at the table of contents, totally okay. Uh, pull up your app, whatever it is you do, but find the book of Colossians. And we're going to jump in to the first uh, of that, that book here this morning. Our small groups are going to be going alongside us. So we'll preach through that over the next 12 weeks. Our small groups will be opening up Colossians as well and doing a deep dive and Really, one of the things our small groups help you do is figure out how does the, the truth of these words really work itself out in the kind of Monday through Saturday part of my life, you know, the, the rest of the days, and what's it look like for me as, as a spouse or as a, as a parent, what's it look like for me as a student or as a work, uh, someone in the working force or a retired person, what does it look like for me to live out what Jesus is trying to teach me through his word in the book of Colossians? So our small groups will be talking about that. Uh, hopefully you guys got one of these on the way in. Did you guys get one? If you did not, I want to make sure you grab one of these. This is an information guide or study guide to introduce you to the book of Colossians that our team has been writing over the last several weeks. And uh, as we've put this together, there's just a ton of information in here. Uh, you've got a lot of kind of background and theological information on the book of Colossians. You also will see some verses that we think we're, we want to highlight for you to possibly memorize and, and put the, God's word in your heart. We've got Chris mentioned earlier, there's a link to a Spotify playlist of songs that we sing on the themes of Colossians that we're going to be singing over the next few weeks. So in all of that content, some creative ideas for you to kind of get your mind stirring about reflecting on God's Word and how you might live that out. So I hope that you'll take this, that you really invest some time in it over the next few weeks as we kind of live that out and kind of walk through the book of Colossians. And I am so excited. Can I just tell you, like, I love... I love that God gave us a Bible of his word. I love that he didn't just leave us to kind of grope in the dark and hope we could find our way to him. I love that he gave us a book that's really a love letter from God to us that says, I want you to know everything about who I am. Uh, and well, not everything, because not every, he can't possibly be contained by the words of, words of a book. But he said, I want you to know how to connect with me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what my character is like. I want you to know the promises that I have for you. I want you to know the future that I have for you. And he wrote us a book and he gave it to, gave it to us in order to build our lives upon. And so we're going to jump into this book of Colossians. And uh, some of you may have come from churches that didn't study through books of the Bible. We actually want to preach through books of the Bible because, newsflash, I'm not God. Like, I'm just a dude like you. I'm just another guy that, that has been saved, that is a sinner who needed God's grace, just like each man and woman in this room needed God's grace. I am, am learning and discovering who God is alongside you, and I have the privilege of getting to invest most of my time diving into this stuff and trying to figure out how to, how to make it come to life for you and try to teach you and instruct you and help you figure out how to walk that out. But I'm just a guy. And so whatever my words, my words have value 
inasmuch as I'm able to take this and help shed light on it so that you understand the Word of God better. But the reason we preach through books of the Bible is because I'm not always going to be here. Like someday they're going to put me six feet under and that's all I got. But this book, this book's forever. So we want to teach you not just to hear my words, but we want to teach you to hear the words of Scripture and to understand those. So we spend time walking through books of the Bible so that you have something that's going to go with you wherever you go. If God transports you from here to the East Coast, I won't be there, but this will. And you can go find a church that will teach you the Word. If God takes you and He sends you to India and transfers you to to a university over there to to teach or to, to learn, you can take the Word of God with you. So we want to be people of the Word that dive in and understand God's Scriptures. And man, this book of Colossians is amazing. It just lifts up and exalts the beauty of Jesus Christ and all that He is. But here's what I want you to understand today. It's not just a book about Jesus. It's a book that is all about Jesus in you. What Jesus does when you are united to Him, when you are connected to Him, when you have new life in Him, it's what Jesus does in your life is what Colossians is all about. And Paul is going to scream and yell and stomp his foot and go crazy trying to get your attention to understand all that Jesus is and all that it means for you. There's probably in all the Bible no more explosive book to tell you about the possibilities of moment-by-moment, day-to-day life that you could experience in Christ. And that's what we want to invest in over the next, over the next three months. So we're going to take 12 weeks and die in, and we're just going to dive in, and we're going to really look at not just information about Jesus, but how we can experience life in Christ ourselves. Sound good? You with me? All right, well, let's lean in and jump in there, because if you're experiencing firsthand faith in the gospel that's growing and increasing in your life, your life's going to be marked, what we're going to see, by depth, by, by growth, by strength, and by confidence. So let's jump in. I'm going to begin reading here in Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is now bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our brother, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to you, your, made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge that of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God to us. It's meant to instruct us and tell us about life with him. And you notice verses one and two, Paul's given a greeting. That's because uh, this is actually a letter. 
It was a letter that Paul wrote, and it was sent to uh, this church that had been formed by a guy named Epaphras in Colossae, a little town uh, that, that we don't know much about, but uh, it was meant to be sent to that town and then circulated to the other towns around there to encourage them in their faith. And the reason why Paul was writing was because uh, the church planter, the founder of that church, Epaphras, had actually come to Paul, and Paul was in prison, and told Paul, man, we're feeling some pressure, we're feeling some cultural winds that are blowing and the way that our culture our world in the city of Colossae is pushing on us is kind of giving our people some false ideas and 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 trying to lead them away from Jesus in order to trust a different path and trying to tell them hey I know Jesus is good but I got a little something better for you I got something a little sweeter I got something a little nicer I'd like to tell you about a, a secret that will give you a little better life if you'll just trust this and not just trust Jesus So Epaphras is a little nervous about the cultural winds that are blowing in the city. And Paul's in prison. We don't really know which prison because Paul was in prison multiple times. Uh, uh, Once in Rome, we know for sure. We don't know of a time in in Ephesus. But uh, people think that this this book was written when Paul was either in prison in in a town called uh, Ephesus or a town called Rome. And it was probably, if it was in Rome, it was likely around 60 A.D. If it was in uh, Ephesus, it was probably more in the early 50s A.D. And so Paul is going to, uh, Epaphras comes and reports this news to Paul. Paul's concerned about these people, but he's never met them. So he's going to write him a letter. And he sends greetings, and he sends it with, uh, probably was helped being written by another co-laborer or minister named uh, Timothy that was there. And Paul's going to start off on some good, some good terms and just try to really encourage them. You know what it's like when you're trying to date someone for the first time? Like back in the days when you were dating, or some of you may be in the middle of that right now, and like you don't really know this person, they don't really know you, but you're trying to form a relationship. So you have to be really nice, because you don't have any street cred yet, right? I mean, you ought to be nice later too, right, guys? Like, guys, you don't really get a pass on that later, but you sort of skip on it later, because you're like, ah, she knows me, she knows I love her, it's all good. But when you first started out, you're like, I better tell her a lot, because she doesn't know what a great guy I am, so I better prove to her how great I am. So Paul's doing a little bit of that. He's like, I want to start out really good. I want to start out on a high note. We've never met. I don't have street cred with you, so I just want to start out with a really positive note and offer some encouragement. And so Paul starts off, and he talks about how he's going to pray, how he's been praying for them all the time. And what he's going to say is, I heard that you came to believe in Jesus. That's awesome. Like, I am so thankful to God that he's given you faith, and you've started this new life of understanding what it looks like to walk with Christ. So verse 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. What kind of faith? It's faith in Jesus. To have faith in something is to transfer your weight. So I'm stepping away from what I've been standing on, and I'm standing now and putting the weight of my life on something else. It's not faith in faith. You don't, you don't have belief just in the idea of believing. You know, the idea of faith is not... Like, I got warm fuzzies and really good feelings about something. It's that, man, I'm, I'm trusting my life just like you take a stool and you say, man, I'm going to transfer the weight from my own self to this stool. Now, if that stool fell, that'd be a really bad illustration. Uh, but that stool held me up, thankfully. And that's because the stool was trustworthy and I could depend on it. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ or upon Jesus Christ, what it's saying is you're transferring the weight from being self-reliant in every way to relying upon, depending upon, putting the weight of your life upon someone else. And he says, I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. Way to go. That's awesome. And he goes on. He says, and your love for all the saints. Because real faith always expresses itself in real love. But man, this one's kind of hard, isn't it? 
You notice what it says? Like, how many of the saints do you have to love? Your love for all the saints. Like, i to be honest, like, I know y'all. And some of y'all are easy to love. Some of y'all are more difficult. Uh, some of y'all know me, and you know there's days when I'm pretty difficult to love. And we don't always all get along. We don't always see things the same way. We don't always click. But what it, this seems really hard. He says, I heard about your love for all the saints. And you might be asking, like, and can't I just love the people that look like me, think like me, talk like me, act like me? Because that'd be a whole lot easier. But Christian love, Paul's saying, is that we love all the ones that God saves and brings to us. So he heard of their faith in Jesus Christ, which go together with love. And then there's a third part in this triad. It's faith, hope, and love in 1 Corinthians 13 that you see that triad's repeated here. So it's faith in Christ, love of all the saints. Verse 5 tells us why they could love everyone. Why they would even try something as crazy as loving people that are unlovely sometimes. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, friends, we, Christians always act with an eye on the horizon. It says, because of, meaning this is the motivation for why you would have faith now and why you would love all the saints. is because of the hope that's to come in the future that's already laid up for you in heaven. And so there's this tension that's there of you're looking ahead, you're living in a way now in the present in light of future realities that are going to come your way. Their future joy brought present obedience in the way in which they acted. Now, living with the end in mind for Christians is not some sad or somber thing. It's a glorious, he calls it hope. It's full of hope about what's to come. It means it's not wimpy or weak. It means it's certain, it's sure. It means he's not going like, Oh man, I hope, I hope it's going to work out. This isn't like, she loves me, she loves me not sort of a hope. This is like, I know I can bank my life on this hope. Notice what it says. It says, it's already laid up for you. It's already waiting. It's ready. It's reserved. I went to a jazz club recently and uh, there was a ticket process and all of that, but I uh, didn't really understand. There were, there were two kinds of tickets. There were tickets that, that, that sort of got you in the door, but you didn't really have a place to stand so you could be shoved into the back corner. And then there's tickets that gave you a reservation at a table. And when we walked in, all the best tables had reserved, reserved, reserved marked on them. And you walked in and you're like, man, I want to sit there. But I didn't have a reservation. And so we were all waiting around in the back going, I hope I just get to sit, but I'm at least going to get to uh, get to watch the show. It's that sort of idea when he talks about the reserved. It's saying that it's already laid up for you, meaning there's promises and things you can count on that have your name on them that say reserved for you in heaven right now. So you can bank on it. You can count on it. Now, it's interesting. Tell us, uh, verse 5 and 6 really tell us where this faith, love, and hope originate. Look with me in in verses 5 and 6. It says, The word of truth. that You've heard before this word of truth, the gospel, which has already come to you, and indeed the whole world's already bearing fruit, and it's as it so does, does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You see some of the words that are repeated there. It's the grace of God. It's the gospel. It's truth. You notice something really particular about that. It's the word of truth. It's the gospel. It's singular. In fact, in, uh, if you look at in most ancient Greek literature, almost all the ancient Greek literature always referred to good news or the gospel as, as something that was plural. It was always plural. But in the scriptures, Paul always uses it as singular 
because it's the gospel. And he puts an article in front of it because he wants us to understand the exclusive nature of the gospel. There's one word of truth. There's one word of grace. There's one gospel that we trust. And this is going to be the major point in Colossians. Because as the Colossians are trying to walk through the world and they're hearing all these other ideas and these other teachers, we're going to see that there's false teachers. It says that there's philosophies of the world. There's ways of doing things. There's religious leaders and cultural leaders that are influencing the way in which they're thinking. And Paul's going to keep going back and say, friends, don't ever leave the one gospel because it's the thing that everything in the Christian life is built upon. You need to run to the gospel. In fact, this is really the main reason why Paul is writing the letter, and the entire book is going to be talking to us about the implications of everything that we're to understand that the gospel means to us. And he's going to talk about the idea of wisdom and knowledge. In fact, this theme of wisdom shows up through the whole letter because the Christian life is built on a foundation of wisdom that comes from the good news of the gospel and the truth that God gives us. It's what we have to build our lives upon. Now, friends, can I just give you a little bit of a warning here? If you grew up in church or grew up around a lot of churches or grew up in the Bible Belt, you actually might be in a little bit of danger right here. I just want to give you a little warning. You might be in a little bit of a dangerous place if you grew up in church or around churches because you may know the information of the gospel, but you may not know the life of the gospel. I see this all the time. You know, when I went to the East Coast and I lived there, people didn't believe the Bible. I remember two ladies grabbed my wife and they were working on a PhD in like mathematics and physics and they were on a rowing team together and they were talking to my wife and uh, as they took a break from, uh, from the, the rowing process, they were, just, they were like, we don't want to be offensive, but I've never actually met anyone that believed the Bible is true before. Can I just ask you some questions? Well, that was a very different experience than what I grew up in in Edmond, Oklahoma. Because most people here have been around the Bible. They've been around. They've at least, maybe their grandmother dragged them to church. They've been around. But, but somewhere they at least have heard the ideas and you know the basic talking points. And you may be thinking right now, well, sure, I know the gospel. I know that Jesus lived. He did some miracles. He taught some pretty cool stuff. And then he died for the forgiveness of our sins. Like, I understand the gospel, Jeff. That's, that's just the facts about the gospel. But that's not the life of the gospel. You may not actually have transferred the weight of your life to it, but you may be looking and going, hey, I think I know the gospel. That's just, that's the, like the entry point. That's the little stuff. Don't you have something better for me? Don't you have something that really would make a difference in my life? Uh, but really, can I just tell you, if that's how you feel, it's actually a sign that you don't really understand the gospel. You don't really know what the grace of God is all about. You don't know really understand what it's meant to do. You may be able to repeat some data or recite some talking points about Christ, but that's different from transferring the weight of your life to being in Christ so that all of your life is absorbed in a relationship with Him. And that really begs us to ask a question, I think, as we walk through this text. If Paul were here today, what report would he hear about your life? If someone that knew you, that watched you, that, that, that interacts with you, and that, that, that is friends with you were to go and to report to the Apostle Paul today, what would, what would he tell them about, he or she tell them about your life? Would he be able to say what is said about the Colossians? That since the day you've heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Have you understood the grace of God in truth? Like, do you really know Jesus? 
Are you experiencing life in Christ? Are you experiencing freedom in Christ? Are you experiencing growth and vitality and strength that comes from a relationship with Christ? This is what we mean by first-hand experience. And that's really the theme of everything I want to talk about today is first-hand faith. Friends, do you, do you have first-hand faith in Christ? Not just vicariously living off someone else's work, but you actually have a relationship with Jesus and you know him and you know what it means. Have you really understood what grace is all about? You notice what it says that there's two things that must happen. It says, first, they heard the gospel. You may have heard the news of the gospel. That's important. But then he says they understood. That's the next step. Have you understood the grace of God in truth, in reality, for you and all that it means for you? See, the focus of their faith wasn't their feelings. It wasn't their imagination, their own wisdom. It wasn't some self-help plan. They had faith in the life, death, resurrection, and kingdom of Jesus. Everything was built on that and focused on that. In fact, a few verses later, we see what happens when we put our faith in Christ. Verse 13 and 14 says, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, that's way more than just the entry point. That's a, that's a much bigger vision than a lot of people, I think, in our world have of the word that we use of the gospel or of grace. See, in Christianity, salvation is all of grace. We were lost and in the dark, and God saved us. God did the delivering. God did the transferring. We did the sinning, and God did the saving. That's what grace means. That's the way that it all works. And everything comes from him. And when it talks about deliverance, it's talking about a ransom or release from a captive, either from war or from some sort of slavery. So what it says was, where your life was, if you don't know Jesus, is that you were in, you were in the realm of darkness, imprisoned, in need of release and freedom. That you were in chains and in bondage, needing a ransom to be paid in order to deliver you because you were a captive of war or a slave that had been taken over by someone else and owned and someone else needed to purchase your liberation and your freedom so that you could begin to live in a kingdom of light and experience new life. That's what it means when it says you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness. You were delivered into something new. Friends, many people in our world are locked away in the dark and cold prison of sin. That's why he says that the forgiveness of sin comes through Christ. Christ died to pay the penalty of our sins so that he could ransom and redeem us. It's the word that we get redemption from. You guys know that's the name of our church, right? This is what we're about. We, as a church, we exist to help you understand what redemption is really all about that you might know the forgiveness of sins, and not just a forgiveness of sins that says, well, now you get a pass to heaven, but you get transferred from the kingdom of darkness to begin to experience new life now in the kingdom and all that God waits for you, has waiting for you. So friends, let me ask you a question. Do you have, do you have firsthand faith? Like, do you really know Christ and is the gospel alive in you? Is it radically changing who you are? Do you know the freedom that comes from His grace? Do you know what it means to be released from captivity of your sin? Do you know what it it means that, that the darkness of shame has been removed completely and you can step into the light without fear? 
Because Christ has qualified you and given you the forgiveness of sins. Do you understand what it means to live in a new humanity and a new freedom and a new community and a new hope of the kingdom of Jesus that that is all going to be a new life that lasts forever for you? This is the gospel. Do you see how big the gospel is? Because one of the burdens of why I moved here 10 years ago to help start a church was because I feel like there's a whole lot of plastic people in our world that can tell me the facts about Jesus. And they go, I understand that Jesus was, was born of a virgin. We talk about that at Christmas. I understand that he died on a cross. We talk about that at Easter. I go to church those two times a year, so I know the information, Jeff. But do you know what it means for you? You may know data, but do you know life that comes from Christ? That's what it's all about. Friends, the point is not merely to point, or the point is not the strength of your faith, but the, the authenticity of your faith. Have you really believed upon Jesus? Have you really transferred the weight of your life to someone else and depended upon him? I love the Gospels tell a story of a guy that was wrestling with that, and he just says, he's like, I believe. He's like, but help me with my unbelief. And sometimes we feel that way. Like, I know I believe, but I know there's more that I need to trust. That's what Colossians is about. What Paul is saying is, you've begun in belief, keep going. Don't stop. Dive in. Get more. Understand everything that God has for you. And what's important is not the strength of your faith. It's that it's firsthand and it belongs to you and that your faith is in Christ and not in something else. But it needs to be yours and it's got to be firsthand because he died for the forgiveness of your sins and the deliverance of your life into a new kingdom. But it's got to be your faith is the only way that you're going to experience that. It's got to be personal. You know what secondhand faith is, right? It's the faith that you're trying to live vicariously through someone else. Secondhand faith is, uh, you know, some people think that they're Christians because of the faith of their parents or grandparents. Some people think they're Christians because, like, well, I just, I, I was born into a Christian culture. I'm, I'm an American. I must be a Christian. That's what, if I had to pick on a form, that's the box I would check. Like, we think that that might make us Christians and the things that we might wrestle with. Some people think they're Christians because they find the stories of Christians uh, inspiring and emotionally stirring, or maybe because they went through a re- religious ritual or some practice, or they've attended a ceremony. Those are all secondhand faith things. They're, they're good experiences, but they don't, they don't impact you and bring you new life. Only firsthand faith does that. Uh, my boys right now are uh, in Scotland. Many of you know that my two oldest boys are going to college, and one of them is going to Scotland, and the other is going to Texas, but he's actually doing study abroad in Scotland. So the like, kids are both in Europe right now, which is crazy. But before they started school, uh, we kind of sent them over two weeks early, and they went and did this 106-mile hike through the Alps. They started in France, went to Italy, went to Switzerland, came back to France and did this long hike through there. And here's the thing that my boys uh, said when we talked to them, and we would try to get them to send pictures. And they would say all the time, like, okay, I'll send you pictures, but it's not the same. Okay, I'll send you pictures, but it's not going to capture it. Hey, I tried to do a video so you get some of the sound and maybe get a little of the feel, but it's not like being here. And the thing that they said uh, as we talked to them was, they they just kind of looked at them and were like, I will never see mountains the same again in my life. 
Like I will never think of the sound of sheep walking through a valley the same way. I'll never think of wind rushing through the trees and the mountains. I'll never think of, uh, of the water trickling down as I did when I spent all those days walking through the mountains and hearing the bells on cows in Switzerland and experiencing the sights and the sounds and the smells and all the things. And I actually got stuck on the top of a mountain one day and it hailed on them for two hours and put up about a foot of snow. And I think out of seven groups that left that day, only two made it. And they were the, they were the last one that made it through to the next deal. And this experience they had, they just keep going, man, my eyes are like every, like it's like my, I was on just overload of experience. It was because they were there for the first time, firsthand. Friends, when, when I look at Colossians, this is what I want for you. I want you not just to say like, I can look at a picture on a little phone that sort of captures what the Alps are supposed to be. Like we, like we can paint that for you but it's not going to impact you the same way as if you go and you actually walk up and down the Alps and experience everything that there is that's there for you. You understand that Jesus Christ and what Colossians is telling you is that that Jesus is the Alps of all experiences. Like he's higher and better than anything else. And it's inviting us in to experience all that he has for us. That's what we want for you. I want you to have a first-hand experience of life in Christ and all that it means. That's what we want. The gospel, you see in verse 6, is this living thing. In fact, it says, in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing. That's an interesting phrase because that actually comes out of the Old Testament. For Genesis 1, 28, and when God created the world, when he intended everything and put us in the world, he said, God blessed them and God said to them, you go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is what God intended before sin entered the world. He said, I want you to flourish and live under my blessing and multiply and increase and fill the earth with my glory. That was God's initial intention. Then what happened in Genesis 3? Sin entered the world and everything got messed up. Like we just jacked it all up. And so everything got muted. Everything got shut down. Everything did. But God had a plan. He sent his only son, Jesus. And Jesus paid the penalty. He rescued us. He's transferring us from the broken world. And he's beginning life out of a new world that's going to recreate all things so that we might walk as Christ intended us to walk. The first Adam blew it. The second Adam, Jesus, is going to redo it so that we get a renewed world that's all made new. And what the gospel does, it says the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, meaning God's God's grace in us and what Jesus accomplished through his cross and his resurrection is the first of, of his kingdom in the new world he's going to create. He's not done. He's going to create a new world and he's going to make all things new. And he says we can begin to experience these now. In fact, in verse 10, you know what he says about you? Believe it or not. He says the gospel in you is supposed to be alive, bearing fruit and growing in your life. So what God intended is being restored and the way in which he's restoring everything he wants for you is through the gospel and the power and the work that it does in you. Is that good news? That when we blew up, he didn't leave us alone? He says, no, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change what's going on in here and then I'm going to begin to change what goes on out there and we're going to make all things new and you're going to get to walk with me for eternity and experience all that it is. Friends, it's good stuff. I don't have enough time to do everything I want to do today. So here's what I'm going to do. Let me give you four ways that this gets worked out. Because if you are experiencing firsthand faith in Christ, uh, what Paul prays next in verses 9 through 13, work out exactly what it is 
uh, or really tell us what it looks like when firsthand faith is being experienced and what it ought to look like in our lives. Uh, Paul says that we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that first you might be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's depth. See, the first thing that firsthand experience and faith brings to you is depth of insight, understanding, wisdom. You have a deeper life because you understand the gospel. And in fact, what he's, he's painting a picture of a better future that the gospel brings. And he's saying it's, you're going to be a deep, alive, growing, strong, hopeful person when you, when you understand the gospel. And sometimes what we say here is the gospel is not just kind of like the entryway into the faith. It is, it's living out the whole faith. It's not the ABCs and, begin, and just the, the kind of foundational stuff. Gospel is the A to Z. Our understanding and growth in the gospel produces everything in us, and we never outpace it or outgrow it. And so verse 9 talks about the depth that we're filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Knowledge is key and foundational to the spiritual life. It's a, it's a part of what it is that we build our lives upon and grow, so that it grow. But it's knowledge that is experienced, not just knowledge that is read about or discussed. And Paul's not just talking about some abstract thing. He's talking about knowledge that impacts us and leads to praise and change life. And in fact, that really brings us to the second thing it produces in us because you know, biblically what you see is knowledge and action are, are never separated. So the second thing that firsthand faith shapes in our life is growth. Verse 10, so that you would learn to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God. And then it's going to tell us what is pleasing to God. Do you want to bring a smile to God's face? Look at the two things it says that we, that we do that, we, that are pleasing to God, that bring a smile to his face. We bear fruit in every good work. That means is that, that there's a life that's going on in you that produces good works. It produces something else. It means you jump on a surf team and you serve. It means you serve in our community. It means you're a servant at your house. Kids, it means teenagers. It means you serve your parents and you honor them in the way you live. It means that, that, that you please God whenever the gospel has impacted you enough that you want to become a servant of others because it's bearing good fruit in you and producing. The second thing you notice it talks about is increasing in the knowledge of God that you're getting to know God better, that you're in a relationship with him. Friends, can I just ask you, like, how are you doing? How is your relationship with the Lord right now? Is it bearing fruit in your life and producing something good? Is it, are you growing in your knowledge and your understanding and your trust and your love of the Lord? Because this is what Paul is praying happens to those who have firsthand faith. The third thing is strength. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. God provides the power. He gives us three words that talk about that strength, power, might. And what that produces in us is endurance and patience. And life stinks sometimes, doesn't it? What he's saying is, God will strengthen you to weather all the storms. God will help you to be a soldier who stands firm at your, at your post. And doesn't run when the battle gets when when the battle gets gets hot, and it's it says being strengthened. It's continually a never ending source of supply, according to His glorious might. Um, when does God run out of glory or might? He doesn't, which means you've got unlimited source of power that doesn't come with any hidden, hidden fees. You know our building right now we're working on. We we've got uh, all the wiring and the building done. Everything's done. They dropped a transformer down. The city has this big grid that's got all this power and these things there. Well, we, but we don't have any power alive in our building. Why? Because we need someone just to flip a switch, and that's going to happen this week, God willing. 
And so they're going to flip a switch and all this incredible power that the city has is going to flood into our building and make everything come to life in our building and make the AC work and make the lights come on and make all the things that happen. That's the picture they want you to have is you've got a power source that's never ending and he will sustain you and he will give you perseverance and endurance and patience. Uh, uh, Endurance is really dealing with difficult circumstances of your life. Patience is dealing with difficult people. And, and there's plenty of both in our world, right? And so as you kind of look at the last one, um, the, the last thing that faith, firsthand faith produces in our life is confidence. Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Friends, we're thankful because we're confident in the future that we have. Christ promises that he'll give you a new inheritance, that he'll give you a new kingdom, and then he'll give you a new freedom. And it's Christ that has qualified you, meaning you don't have to earn it. For you to to have an inheritance that's stored up, it's not because you are smart enough to save everything just right or do everything just right or navigate everything just right, but he has qualified you and you already own the inheritance that is there. It's just waiting for you and it's, it's there for your taking in the future. And he says he's qualified you to share in the inheritance with the saints in light. That's the future that we're headed for, and it's already yours. Um, let me end with this. Several months ago, um, we were trying to figure out how to get in this building. We needed some more money, and we applied for a second loan. And honestly, like elders, we were like, I don't know. Let's just try and see if we can do it, because if we do that, we can start construction, and let's see what happens. And we weren't sure. And I remember I got a call from a guy, and he says, um, we're going to grant your full request. And I was just, we were dumbfounded. We are like, seriously? Like, that's incredible. Like, we're, we're, like, we've got enough in savings. We've done all the things we could do. We can do this to be able to move in the building. And I remember calling Chris, and I was like, I was in cloud nine. I was just giddy, right? And I was just excited. I'm like, whoa, like, this is the best. We're moving into our building. Like, we've got a building now, Chris. And we're moving in. It's there. And like, I'm getting ready to spike a football. I'm so excited. And like, it's all there. And Chris was on the phone. He goes, yeah, I don't feel that way yet. Like, I, I think I'll feel that way the day we get to switch the light on, lights on the first Sunday, and I get to lead worship. Friends, that's the tension we live in, but I want you to know what Paul is wants you to understand is it's going to happen. You have everything you need. He's already pre-qualified you. You've got all the access you need to walk in and enjoy the thing someday, and you need to start feeling that excitement now because he's going to do everything that you need to make your life everything you want it to be. And I, I know there's parts of that you won't experience yet till you get to flip the lights on. You're like, I don't know till I get there. But that's the tension we live in. And what I want to tell you is that between now and the day when that happens, what we do is we go to Jesus. We trust him with everything. And we just go all in and put all our trust on him. And he will do good stuff in us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your son, Christ. I thank you for the life we have in him. I thank you that we did not Stay in darkness, but we've been transferred. Father, that when we sinned, you saved us. You delivered us, that Christ paid the ransom and all that was needed, that we might be restored to right relationship with you and new life and a new humanity and a new community called the church and a new kingdom that Jesus is beginning to build and a new mission that we have to pour ourselves out to you in the city and a new purpose. And, uh, Father, that we've got a new future. Father, we thank you and rejoice. Would you grow us this fall? Father, through your Son, by your Spirit. Amen.